All right, I imagine the basement is leaking this morning. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. And certainly, we ought to have much to be appreciated. Hallelujah. Father, we do appreciate you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God. morning. We stand in your presence unworthy, Father, receiving things undeserved. But, Father, we're thankful that you made us mindful of this one reality, that we might from the depths of our heart give honor and praise and thanks to you, Father, for health and for strength, for life and that more abundantly, Father, and the promise of life after death. Thank you, Father, for your glorious vision. Thank you, Father, for the things that thou hast set before us. Thank you, Master, this morning for the challenge that seems unreal. Father, we pray that it settle in every one of us our heart and make us to realize, Father, the end is soon to come. We must work while it is now day, for the night cometh when no man can work. Grant us the peace and serenity, Father, and we'll praise your name for it. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. This is Father's Day, and perhaps we should speak a few kind words for the fathers, and also a few words that might not be so kind to the fathers. I want to turn your attention to the last chapter of Malachi, words, of course, and the last two verses, words, of course, that you are familiar with for the most part, but something we want to take be able to focus our attention upon for a while. It's a message that should be taken in its reality and it's in its entirety. Spoken just before the heavens were closed for 4,000 years and left a definite impression, should have, upon everybody that reads the ending of this Old Testament Word of God to his people. And it starts off this way, a promise from God, a very needed promise, 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And Elijah the prophet, of course, we've established the fact that this will not be Elijah resurrected, but this will be someone coming in the power and the spirit of Elijah. In other words, a last day ministry operating under the influence of the power and spirit that Elijah operated in. And he has a mission, a mission that many of us take very little heed to, but he has one nevertheless. Now, this ministry is coming into view fast. It's not well recognized as yet, but it certainly has its place, and it's beginning to establish its place in modern-day society. It's coming fast. And this is the mission that he, or that which he terms under the spirit and power of Elijah, shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. Now, there is a necessity in this, and I like the way he closes that and leaves them with this thought, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, unless the heart of fathers and children are united, unless the fathers find their role and their love for their children and know their responsibility, and unless the children's hearts are again turned back to their fathers out of respect, then the earth is due for a curse. There's one thing that can save this. Now, we have, because of this, been living in a land in a sense that is cursed. You find unhappiness. Most unhappiness is because of either disobedience of fathers, mothers, and children to the laws of God. We find sadness and discouragement and despondency. And most of this is because the individuals will not accept the responsibility or the place that is theirs. And we are living, in a sense, under a curse now, but the full curse in which God said he would smite the earth with can be done away with in our nation or in the world. Especially God wants us, and he was writing to Israel, he wants it in our nation. And so what he's saying here is there has to come a message and a messenger with a message that would challenge the fathers, that would challenge the children, and turn respect back to one another. And this is the day and age that we're living in. All of us see, we can see, the disrespect of fathers, unconcerned uh, they are for the most part about what their children do or how they turn out. For the most part, only concerned about their own good life, what they can do or what they cannot do. Most fathers, uh, not all, but most fathers, or could I say at least some fathers, are concerned only with their own happiness. They've never fully grown up to the realization that their responsibility is not to themselves, but to that which they have helped create their children that their life should not be lived to themselves or for themselves, but should be lived for that which they created or helped create, and that is a child brought into the world without choice. And as soon as we recognize as fathers our responsibility, there will be less sadness, there will be less unhappiness, there will be less divorces and less separation and less cruelty going on in the world. And Jesus talked about this. Now, the devil has done his work well. Now, God knew what he was going to do because the devil knew, as God knew, that once he could get 
intertwined in the family and get the father and mother uh, at each other's throats and the children and giving them this respecting one another and tear up the family, he could tear up the church and in turn tear up the nation. Now he's done this on nation after nation. Each time uh, 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 a great nation was established, you'll find that it faltered and fell because of this very one thing. Rome fell because of it. Greece fell because of it. Babylon fell because of it. And our nations today are going to fall because of it if we can't find a reconciliation to God Amen. for each individual. Now, it is not enough for us to hear over and over of our responsibility. But for the most part, our, our stage is set. We have our mold made and we're really not concerned about doing any better than we are now. And with this type of attitude, God has to raise up from somewhere else something that would turn the heart of the father to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. I've never seen in my life, and I'm not all that old, but I'm sure most elderly people will tell you they've never seen in their life so much disrespect come from children to their parents, especially to their father curse them, tell them they wish they was dead, stand up in their face and defy them and their laws. The devil knew how to do this. He also knew that if a father didn't react right in this situation, it would only create more havoc. Now the devil's done his work well. The father image, the authority figure, so to speak, has been reduced to rubble. It has been the butt end of jokes and ridicule, ridicule and scorn. Watch your newspapers, read it. Watch your television, listen to your radio, and you never hear about a father hardly unless he's being ridiculed and put down and cast forth as a Dagwood type of individual that takes his law and order from both the wife and the children and the boss and whoever and even the dog seems to rule the man. And the man was cast forth as far as God was concerned and it hasn't changed as the authority figure. And this is to be according to God's law, not according to what man decides he should do, but according to what the Bible says he should do. And then if man fulfills this role, he becomes unequivocally the authority figure in the home. But many fathers would like to take the authority figure without taking it under the inspired word of God. And this is what we want to talk about. In many cases, the role has been relinquished simply because... The father has relinquished the role. Just bring in the money, the popular thinking today, and your role has, as a father has been fulfilled. You have no other responsibility. You make the money, you turn it off, and then you're free to go fishing, and you're free to while away your time, and you're free to do whatever you want, and just leave the rest of the responsibility to mom. Let mom raise the children. Let mom discipline the children. Let mom bring the children to church. Let mom do it all. But this is not according to God's Word. It is hard-hitting. God's Word is, always is, and it leaves no guesswork about the setting of a father. And we must leave no guesswork about that this morning. I want to turn, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. I want to read a few scripture. Now there's so many that we can't possibly get to them all. But I want to get some of the things that uh, Jesus says to it under the inspiration of the Apostle Paul. It says, first of all, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may weigh well with thee, and thou, thou mayest live long on the earth. I might stop here long enough to say that the catastrophes that are happen, happening to our young generation are not happenstance. The wrecks in their lives being snuffed out and dying of uh, incurable diseases and all this is not just happenstance. For the most part, it's because there has been bred a disrespect for father and mother, and they cannot claim the promise of a long life. Might be good for some of you uh, young people here this morning to recognize that. Everybody wants to live long. Everybody wants to live a full life. Well, you have a promise from God right here. It's not my promise, but it's from God. If you will honor your father and mother, it'll be well with you, and you live long upon the earth. Disrespect now, and calamity can happen. It is happening every day. Just because it hasn't happened to you yet is no sign that you are an escapee from it. Because it is God's divine law. When he seeks to make the judgment, it's not mine. It is not mine to say, but God can and he will make the judgment. So respect should be bred uh, within you. You should recognize this as young people, and you should watch what you say. What's your reaction? Because you are held accountable for that. Now find well and good about the children. And then it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. In other words, don't irritate your children. Now a lot of fathers discipline at their own pleasure. Not for any love whatsoever, but they simply are irritated and they discipline because they're irritated. Or they irritate their children. They downgrade them. They set them to naught. And the Bible tells you not to do that, but bring them up. Now this is to the fathers. But bring them up in the nurture or the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. This is something that is directed certainly to fathers. So our, our duty as fathers is to draw out the good in a child while all at the same time checking the evil that is ever present in a child. Now you know as well as I do that we're fighting and battling this Adamic uh, innate characteristics of Adam, our forefather, and it is inside to do nothing but the wrong thing. It is easy to do the wrong thing. It's easy to just flow with the crowd. But the responsibility of a father, not always the mother, as we have left it for years, is to draw out the good in your child. And certainly, I, I've looked at mine sometimes when I was raising them, and I wondered if there's any in there. But I knew there was, and it was my responsibility to draw out the good in the child while I'm drawing out the good to check the evil that's there. Don't close your eyes to the fact that it's there. You're not admitting anything. You know it was there in you, and it's there in them. Admit it's there, and begin to check it. Begin to tell them what is there. Begin to let them know you know that it's there. You know what their lust is. You know what their desires is. And by the same token, tell them that there is a power beyond their own that can eliminate this, that can stop it. Now, you cannot draw good out of a child without checking the evil at the same time. It's, it's a dual thing. And it's not an easy thing. You can't do it one day a week. You can't do it by living your life in a selfish manner. You can't do it down in the mully grub, so to speak, always bemoaning your fate. 
And I, I fear sometimes, and I actually mean it, I fear sometimes that the family has become selfish, that mom is concerned about herself, and dad is concerned about himself and his standings, while the children stand totally confused. And they're afraid to go for help a lot of times and ask mom and dad for help because mom and dad is always feuding and fussing and fighting. Right at the very time they need help, the devil will send some type of argumentative spirit in the midst of the home. He'll see to it that it is there. Every time it will happen. And we need to be adult enough to recognize he's doing this. And let me say, give you a good rule of thumb. Whenever that spirit comes in your home, you can rest fully assured that your children need something. That's why it's there. Your children, although silent and mute, a lot of times has a need. They have a need for you to look at them, to love them, to touch them, to recognize them. They have a need in their life for you to let them know that you're outside of yourself. You can see farther than yourself and you see them. That your life is not lived to your own pleasure and it's lived for them, for them, for them. And certainly if we have children, our lives should turn from our own self-satisfaction to the satisfaction upbringing and raising of our children in the discipline and nurture and admonition of the Lord. We ought to, as parents, teach them to use their wills in the right direction. Now, I've saw this a lot, and I think I need to bring it up. You be, the, you be the measuring stick on that. The will of a child should never be broken. I've seen children that had no will of their own had been completely dominated by an over-authority figure of a father until their will was completely broken and they had no will. And we as parents and as fathers especially have no right to do this. His will is an instrument of God given to him to resist with. And if you break a child's will where he is so submissive that he has no thoughts of his own, now you're still to guide him. You're still to control him or, or them, but allow them some thoughts of their own. Because if they don't have, when you if you break their will rather than to temper it against the evil, and you leave them to an easy prey to an outside world when they get out from your domination. Because you have always thought for them. Everything you said has always been the right thing and theirs has always been the wrong thing. And when they're left outside, they are gullible enough to take away or take after whatever authority figure presents itself. So it's a cautious thing and it's certainly something that a man does not come by in his, in his innate character. It is something that the, the power of God gives you and something that ought to be a matter of prayer at all times as to what to do, what, which way to go, what can I do to give them a will of their own, and still not let them go and do the things that is wrong for them, and how can I keep from breaking their will? You see, when you break the will of a child, I'll say it again, you leave them easy prey. I've seen Pentecostal homes and been in them where children were completely dominated. They had no say so. They had no thought of their own. And the minute they got out from under that authority figure, they went the ways of the world headstrong and headlong. A lot of times, even as a rule, sometimes this, this happens to the best. But I'm talking about as a rule. We should, if we can at all, Show them that the strongest thing that they can do 
It's not always to insist on having their own way or doing that which is the easiest to do for the moment. Now, a child is a child. You know that. In fact, you never outgrow that. Whenever you get to be an adult, the first thing that crosses your mind when a problem is presented is to, what's the easiest way out? And if we're not careful, we'll walk the easiest way out. But you need to present to your child something that would stick in their craw, so to speak, and make them recognize that the easiest way out is not the best way. Very seldom it is ever the best way. We need to teach them that the strongest thing to do is what he feels to be right and stand on that, no matter how much it goes against the grain. Now, we're living in an easy-come, easy-go society. We're living in a society where it is hard for an individual not just to turn his child loose and say, just go get him, do whatever you want to, because neighbors doesn't, friends doesn't, relatives doesn't. And the kids bring this to you and say, so-and-so doesn't. And you need to breed inside of them some way, embed it inside of them some way, that they need to establish and know what they feel to be right, and then stand on it. And this ought to go into adulthood. And we have some good examples, probably sitting right here in our church of individuals that simply feel that what they're doing is right. Feel that it is right. Have sorted it out. Have recognized their position. And know good and well that they're not doing it just to please themselves. Because after all, who likes to be ridiculed? Who likes to be scorned? Who likes to be laughed at? And it would be the easiest thing in the world to say, all right, if that's what they want, I'll give it to them. But this is not character. This is not character that uh, is placed within the heart of man by their upbringing or by the Lord. We need to set an example as parents to this and be convinced, I'll say again, that what we're doing is right. And regardless of whatever ridicule there is, we need to stand by it. Now, I, I've got something that, that just entered into my mind, and actually it did, and I pray this morning that I don't embarrass anybody by this. It's not my intention. But I, I, I would like to call a name. And uh, why the Lord impressed me to do this, I don't know, because it's not in the notes. And I'd like to call a name, and I would like to say to those that are his particular children, and you should not bow your heads in shame that you should not worry about what other individuals say, and you should have pride and be proud of the stand that he's taking. And I don't always agree with Brother John Winders. Very seldom sometimes do we because he's probably as bullheaded as I am. But I want to say in the sight of everybody, and I've told everybody this, that he has a position, and he feels his need to fulfill it. And I've read the letters in the paper. And I've heard the scorn and I've heard the ridicule. And I've also watched him stand with his post and with his idea and opinion on what is right without wavering. I had somebody say, don't you know his children must be ashamed of him? And I said to them in the face of about five, I said, well, if they are, they're wrong. They ought to be proud of him. For being able to stand when everybody else is folding their arms, they ought to be proud of him. And I'll say to him, to his face, I'm for you 100%. I don't believe I'm by myself. I believe you've got more, more people that's for you than's against you. And being as they took uh, this pot shot and you in the papers, and I feel like that's wrong, 
I feel like it's desperately wrong. Instead of coming to somebody's face and saying this, swipe it out in a paper. Vince, they've took this. Uh, a way to get at you, I want to take this. Standing behind God's pulpit, I feel under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and let you know that I feel like you're doing what is on your heart and you keep doing it. I'll say it again, you keep doing it. You don't worry about what the world thinks. And this is setting an example to your children. Now, there's probably many more than this that have set examples, endured ridicule, simply because they felt like that was the thing to do. Let your children know again what you expect out of them. Very, very seldom sometimes does a child know what you want out of them. It's do this one time and don't do it the next time. And I don't think there's anything that stinks any worse in the nostrils of God and a family that is not disciplined. A mother or a father that is wishy-washy that will tell you to do this one thing and then climb your ladder for it the next time. I believe it stinks in the nostrils of God. I think we ought to be stable. I think we ought to let the bylaws, I think we ought to fence the ground in and say this is as far as you go. And at least if they don't like it, they'll know that all the whining and complaining is not going to change Papa and Mama's mind. Amen? It ought to be. And also while you're doing this, you remember that your child has feelings. Sometimes we don't remember this, especially as fathers. In fact, the business is most children have, uh, well, really they're extraordinary sensitive. I can remember, I'm not that old, but I can remember as a child when people could say something to me, mom and dad, when I was a child, and I, I was real sensitive, and it bothered me uh, then, and it don't bother me now. And children are an impressionable age, and you need to try to estimate your child's worth. What, what are they worth? And then, if you can remember this, they are God's gift to you. Now then, what are they worth? All right, I don't care how, what they are. Maybe, maybe you have to get on to them to take a bath. And maybe you have to get on to them to eat, or maybe you have to get on to them to, to stay clean, or maybe, yeah, but they're still, regardless of all the things that you see they are not, they're still God's gift to you. God gave them to you, and so they must be worth something. If a child turns out no good, it is usually the parents' fault they are no good, not the child's. Amen? They possess a value that you can't estimate. Because nothing that God sends can be worthless. And they deserve more. Now the primary thing of this world is to build your family estate. Get your family name. Get your family business. And do this and then turn it all over to Junior or Sissy. One of the two. But a child deserves more than this. This is fine if you can do this. This is fine. But if that's all you're going to leave a child, you've done the wrong thing. Leave them a heritage of God. A heritage of God. Introduce them to the principles of Jesus Christ. Introduce them to honesty. Introduce them to fervency. Introduce them to stability. Introduce them to discipline. Because no man in his life is ever free. If you don't learn discipline in an early age, you're going to have problems all throughout your life. I've heard my children say, more, more times than one, when I get certain age, I'll be my own boss. <laughs> and then they got that certain age, they married a husband. <laughs> if 
They just changed bosses, that's all. And then after they did that, they had children that just changed bosses again, you see. <laughs> so you're never really free from somebody at least trying to tell you what to do. But they need a heritage from God. I, I've said this often. My dad left us nothing. Their social security and will have to live like beggars or bums. And I feel this way about it. I feel like if you're saving something for your children to argue and fight over, it's the wrong thing. Enjoy what is there, but introduce them more than anything else. Introduce them to Jesus. Introduce them to Him and His ways and His power. And if you do that, you leave them a heritage that doesn't fade away. Thank God. That cannot fade away. It's always there. Introduction to God. Make your children appreciate the power of your influence. Always be the example. Never expect your child to exceed your example. How many parents and dads have you heard to say, I expect you to exceed what I am or what I've done? It's wrong. It's wrong. Whatever example you set, expect your child to follow that example. If it's a poor one, you're going to be held responsible. But the best example you can possibly set, let that be an example to them and recognize more than anything else the limits of your authority. No father, I don't care who he is, has a right to say, I am determined that this is the way it's going to be because I have willed it. Now there's a lot of children in occupations today that they don't want to be in simply because Papa demanded that this is what they do and they're unhappy. And their spouses are unhappy and their children is unhappy. Set before them some things. Let them, tell them to pray about it and let God set the course of their life. Not you, but let God set the course in their life. If they need some guidance, guide them. If they need some upbuilding, upbuild them. But don't just set them down and say, this is what you are going to be. You don't have that right. And you have no right to demand what the Lord doesn't authorize. Amen? Now, you might be the pauper, but there are certain guidelines that you have to go by. This is the child's safeguard. Children wouldn't be abused as much and put down as much if dads, and I'm talking to dads this morning, would look into the Bible and see really what God expects out of them. You see, this, this child is not your plaything to punish, punish after your own pleasure, to jump down their throat because they're just a little bit loud and, and you're interested in something else. This is not what it's all about. This does not display the love of God at all. And uh, whenever we demand something that's outside of what God has said, why, then, then we're wrong. We as parents have power designated to us by God Himself to demand obedience. But this is qualified only when our ruling is according to God's law. Do we have that? Our authority, I think the hardest thing in the world for us to recognize, is limited by time. Our children develop into young men and women. They develop the wills and judgments of their own. And when they get at a certain age, those wills ought to be respected. And I think this realization, we as parents, that we have influenced and molded our child as much as we possibly can, is the hardest thing of all to take. Amen? 
You look at a child, and after you have molded them and fit them, there's impressionable age, ages in which a child's life can be molded. And then you go beyond that, where you've done all you can possibly do. And then to try to mold it into something else is taking a chance on breaking or ruining a life. And the hardest thing, and I know I've been there, the hardest thing that a parent has to do is recognize that the time of molding is over. That you have shaped that life as much as it possibly can be shaped. And you can do nothing else with it, only to be there and to lead and guide and to give, give uh, whatever they need in their life. To help influence their life when they ask for it. And whenever you see they're out of line, I still do, my wife does, you tell them you feel like they're out of line. But you can't go in there and demand that they do it. If they cannot do it because they see it as right or wrong, they need to be called to the attention of them, that they recognize, if they can at all, that what you, you're saying is right. But if they don't, it is left to them. You have gone as far as you can go in molding their lives. And it would be a lot easier on mom and dad if they could just turn it loose and look at it and said, look what I've made. And then take the blame for the good as well as for the bad. Let's read that again. And ye fathers, as we close, provoke or irritate not your children to wrath. Children are wrathful and venge vengeful sometimes because they have simply been irritated. Dad comes home and he's got a headache. Or dad's conscience is hurting him. <laughs> Amen, because he hadn't been the kind of dad he ought to been. Amen, it's hard to tell your child not to smoke when you do. It's hard to tell, tell your child not to drink when you do. It's hard to tell your child to be faithful when you're not. And dad comes home sometimes with all of this misery stacked on him and he got to take it out on somebody and he provokes his child, irritates him to wrath and to anger. And one of these days, Papa, will you answer for it? And then to the fathers to bring them up in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. The best thing I know in closing this service this morning is to say, be an example. Find where you're at and know you're right and stand there. And this is the best advice that God gives in his word. Shall we stand? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's gather in. We'll sing some songs as we gather in. Let's remember our service tonight. Will it be choir practice? Look bad out there. No adult choir practice. Getting ready for camp. No choir practice. All right. Then we can take that time to pray. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Oh.